I didn't appreciate the bass on this before. Oh. Start the podcast over, turn up the bass in your car, and just roll down the street for a second. Oh, I gotta go back. Okay, we'll go back. We got Warren Sharp in studio today. Up, Warren. Uh, I don't appreciate you coming for my maroon sweater swag. This is like... If you had to draw me in an illustration, that would be my outfit. Woody t- made me take off my hoodie because it's like two degrees up here in New York City. Yes. So I was layered up. Don't come into my city and insult my weather warrants. So, well, the hawk is out. The hawk is out. Yeah. We had a squall on Wednesday. Oh, there's snaps. Now we're, now we're into Thursday. And we're into a very interesting week of football because there are great matchups. That decide divisional ga- divisions as a whole. We're getting to a part where you're looking at your season-long prop bets, and the difference between seven, eight, nine wins could be hundreds of dollars in your pocket. Uh, also, it's a lot of games where we've seen these games before, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious what what you're going to be able to see from the past uh, games, whether it's Buffalo, New England, whether it's Minnesota, Green Bay, whether it's Philadelphia, Dallas. We've seen these stories, but it's always different the second time around. This this week, three games on Saturday, games we've seen before. Where is this in the Warren Sharp level of football expertise? Well, I think the biggest issue for the 33%, like one of the things I can impart on them, part of Sharp School, we could dive into some of this, but you have to be very cautious as a better over the next two weeks. Okay. Because you have to understand motivations and sometimes they are apparent. Other times uh, they are less apparent. Right. And then sometimes when the motivations are apparent, the problem becomes that's factored big time into the line. And so you, a lot of times betters will look at what has just happened what does this team need to do? Right. And also like, oh my God, I remember two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they just played this opponent yes. and this was the result. I don't, I can't conceive that it could be different. So what is, what is one simple thing that we can all do to avoid maybe false narratives that are building in our head? Well, okay. You're going to hear a lot about must win game. It's either a must win game. And, and this week, uh, the next two weeks, there's more than ever it, because there's so many teams bunched up at the top. It's awesome. Right? So you got a couple of like double-digit win teams already that oh. are vying for the division. Every spot in the NFC can change. Seattle could be anywhere from one to five. Right. Same it, San Francisco. Who knows? Yeah, and with Seattle, for example, right? So Seattle has a big game next week too, right, against San Francisco. So you might think, oh, well, this game's not as big, but if they want a shot at home field, right. like, this is big. So an, an example, another one, Tennessee, New Orleans, right? New Orleans had a nice record-breaking game yep, last week, yep, and yep. Tennessee lost, so technically Tennessee sort of needs this game more to make the playoffs, right. but if the Saints want a shot at first-round bye, yeah. they need it too. So, like, you can buy into, like, whatever narratives, I mean, they're all out there, but I will tell you that here's a perfect example, okay? Last five years, road underdogs against a team that's like got a winning record, 55% road underdogs the last two weeks of the season 
are 64% ATS over wow. the last five years. 30 and 17, a road dog who's going up against an opponent. With who's a winning record. With a winning record. Likely going for the playoffs. Likely going for the playoffs. Now, a lot of the times, these teams don't end up winning outright. Like that team that needs the win yes. wins, yes. but they're just going for the win. Right. Can you so, can you take the layers off a little bit and explain normal reasons why? Like I love you explain the death of home field advantage because of advancements in technology and medicine. Why do you think that's happening in the last two weeks of the year? Right. Well, you've got all these teams, right? Like let's take Seattle, for example. Seattle is in this game where they have to win to have a shot at home field. And so that's the narrative that's being spread out there. And they already beat Arizona once before. The last couple of weeks of the season, there's lots of divisional games too. So typically the team with the winning record probably beat the team, the other team who's a road dog. So Seattle's already beat Arizona. Seattle needs this win for division. And so the line is inflated by a number of mm. points in their favor, such that it's very hard for them to cover. But what's Seattle's motivation? Okay. They're motivated to get the win, but they're also motivated to stay healthy and to play a huge game next week against the 49ers. So they just want to win. They would love to win by 30 points, of course. but they'll do with a win by six or seven or nine points. And you're taking double digits or nine and a half, yeah, whatever the numbers and a half for Seattle for, for to, to, to take Arizona plus those points. Yeah. So there, there's a number of, um, Teams not like with such a high spread as that one uh, that fall into like a similar situation where um, it's a good week to bet <laughs> on these road dogs. Yeah, it's also not the worst week to money line parlay some favorites if you really want to do that because you know those teams are likely going to win, but you don't want to touch those numbers because they're likely inflated. Yeah, they're likely inflated. And the other thing is for me, the games that I want to tease are more so games that are moving as this is another sharp school thing. We've talked about it before, but I don't want to tease a team that's laying six points down to zero. Okay. Number one, you're not going through the seven, going through the seven and the three is where you really want to take a teaser because you're getting the most value. Right. Number two, there's no value in going from one to zero, right? Like there's no value right. in moving from one to like getting through the half point to getting to zero. So what is preferable at that point in time, at that juncture, is to money line parlay those two teams. So I'll give you one example. Sure. Okay, one example for this week. Is this one you like? Is it one that I like, yeah. Okay. So l let's pretend you think Houston's going to beat Tampa Bay. Houston's in a situation where they kind of need to win. Right. But Tampa Houston— they're two all, best all receivers. receivers. Yeah. So Houston is the very first game of the weekend, Saturday afternoon, um, and they're laying three points on the road. Yes, so let's are. pretend you like Houston. You don't want to tease Houston through the three and down across zero. It, it's not going to help you. Um, and let's say you also think no way Cleveland beats Baltimore, right? Mm. Second time around, Baltimore right. beat them the first time. Baltimore's got extra be rest. uniquely motivated because they lost to that team last time. They're the hottest team in football. Cleveland is a mess. Cleveland, Cleveland 
the frustration with Cleveland is they go to Arizona. There's a clear blueprint of how to beat Arizona. Yep. The things that Cleveland does the best are the things that Arizona is very weak against. And they, and they just completely it. ignore that and yeah. do what they want to do. And it doesn't end up working out for them. So they're not a team that's like game planning to, for the weaknesses of their opponent right. or for their strengths. They're just doing you're their saying crap. You like Houston straight up. You like Baltimore straight? Yeah. Up. So, so, and and you're you got Baltimore right? They're laying ten, I think, yes. is the consensus number. So you're going through the seven if you tease them down. But if you're using a six point teaser, you're only getting to four. You're not even getting to three. If you use a seven point teaser where you're laying extra juice, you're not getting through, through the, the three. three. You're getting to the three. So guess what? I see what you're saying. You're if saying you money line parlay Houston to win the game with Baltimore to win the game, you know what the juice is on that? What do you got? Minus 105. Mm. So don't freaking tease. I mean, don't tease these favorites down through these bad numbers. Just money line parlay some of the favorites that you think you like to win these games. So when you see a team that you like either favored or getting to, that's when you get excited. Because then you could do a six-point teaser through the three or the seven. Yeah, if, if it's, it's a d- on a three or if it's on a ten – you're going, I'd rather go money line because I'm not getting any value and I'm not getting enough value in teasing these teams. Yeah, so the, there's a number of teams this week that are laying between six and a half or maybe seven points. You look at like the Chargers, you look at the Broncos, you look at the Colts, right. um, Falcons. None of these teams are just above that threshold of like seven and a half to eight to eight and a half points, where those are perfect legs where you could take the favorite, tease them through the seven, through the three, right. and sit right there on the other side of it. So you don't really have a lot of those opportunities this week. And similarly, there aren't as many dogs that are catching, you know, the one to two points where you could then tease up through the three and the seven. So at these points, your best move is not to tease, but to use a money line parlay. Gotcha. So your big thing is, I think Sharp School this week was, if you know that you like a team that's fighting for more than the other team and you really like them, maybe throw them in some money line parlays. And if you are going to bet ATS, road dogs, 64% the last two weeks of the year for the last how many years? Five years. So if you if you want if you like an underdog, do the points, but they they might not win outright because we're fighting for playoffs here. But if you do like the favorites, money line. Yeah, I mean because this the is points not... are all over the place because of raised value from Vegas. Right, exactly. And this is not the week. We it's always talk stuff. about this of uh, laying something on the dog on the money line. Like if you like a dog and you think he's got a chance to win yeah, the game, get some throw more a little money yeah, line. More but juice. this is the week where you might get a nice inflated point spread, but they may not do as well on the money line. Right. Like I'll give you an example. Um, uh, okay. Road dogs with a losing record against a team with 55% plus wins. They're 19 and nine against the spread the last five years. That's 68%. Wow. But they're only five and 26 straight up. That's only 16%. So they're covering these big numbers at a really good clip, but they're not winning the games outright because they're inherently the worst team. They're getting backdoor covers, yes. but the favorite is like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to take my you know, foot off the pedal a little bit. I'm fine with winning by a a score or so, but I don't need to stomp these guys in the ground for no reason. That's really good. I like it. I'm going to interrupt you really quick because I need to make an announcement. Earlier this week, 
A king was crowned. That's right. And we didn't need Queen Elizabeth to get it done. The LFGL, the Lefko Fantasy Gridiron Football League, has a new champion. Ooh. Over 1,200 of the 33% signed up and played all year round. That's big. 92 leagues were formed on the sleeper app. It was pretty great. And all the way holding it down was William Ezel. I'm holding my phone because that's where I message him. A man from New Orleans, known as Saints Kid, known as Broken Arm Kid, commissioned the whole thing. And what he did was, as you guys well know, we had our playoffs in weeks 13 and 14. In week 15, he put all of the champions of all the 92 leagues into a spreadsheet with their starting lineups, and he calculated who in week 15 had the most points. Because in the LFGL, we don't like week 16. There's too much shit up in the air for fantasy. We wanted to end it week 15. And I have for you the top five. Now, Warren, the guy that got number one or the woman gets to come on the Left Go Show podcast, call in and talk about whatever they want to talk about, ask any questions they want for about five to ten minutes. So we're going to announce that right now. Let's do it. I wanted you to be a part of it because I knew you'd like numbers. Boy, do I have numbers for you. So, so let me get this straight. Yes. Everybody who was a participant who made it to, like, to qualify. So there was 92 division champs. Okay, so the division champs all were applicable all had a shot at winning the whole thing. Yes. And it was whoever had the best score out exactly. of it, you so got to was, announce the top five. If you had the same players, absolutely. Like, um, a lot of people had um, uh, Kenyon Drake. A lot of people had Mark Andrews. I'm seeing a lot of Lamar Jacksons. Seeing a lot of Russell Wilsons. He was not that great. But here's the top five. Okay. Coming in at number five, Jay Kidd with the the league he played in, Sims Abandoned Orphans. He finished with 159.18, 30 points back of the champ. JK, good job. Number four, Fairs 58. He was in the league known as Mike Vrabel's Genitals. <laughs> he finished the championship with 162.2, only 27.66 back. Okay, number three, congratulations to Rudes in the league. Patrick Mahomes, 165.34. And Russell Wilson, Saquon Barkley, Zeke, Cooper Cup, Darius Slayton had a nice day. Austin Hooper, he finished 24.54 points back. This is where it gets crazy, Warren. Number two. Enrique 32019. Why is that crazy? Because last year in the Simpson Lefko Fantasy League, Enrique 32019 won the league. And he comes back in the Lefko Fantasy Gridiron League and gets second place. Wow. Out of over 1,200 people, Enrique finished only six points back. Playing Ryan Tannehill, Chris Carson, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller. Motherfucker had Kenyon Drake in the flat for 30, flex for 39. Comes out of nowhere. Was in the left toes fantasy division. I'll tell you what, that guy got a bad beat because Ryan Tannehill had like a couple of passes in yes. the end zone that got, that did not get home that probably should have. Incredible. 
But I, I just want to say, Enrique, good job, Enrique. Incredible to go first and then the second year second wild. But the winner of the Lefko Fantasy Gridiron League, aka the LFGL, aka the Let's Fucking Go League. Congratulations to Gabe Wilkes of the league giving Adam the left blow KO with 189.88 points. He had Lamar Jackson, oh, baby. Lamar. Chris Carson, Mark Ingram, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, DK Metcalf, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Every single person in his team went double digits. Lamar gave him 36. Julio gave him 31. But Gabe Wilkes won. I think I followed you on Instagram this week. We are going to f- figure out which show you can come on soon, and you're going to call in, and you can ask whatever you want. Gabe Wilkes is your inaugural LFGL champ. Proud of you, bro. But I also- Sounds like he stacked Baltimore. He had, he, had, the control room. he had tight end. Yes. He had Marquise Brown. He had Lamar Jackson. He had Lamar Jackson. He had Mark Ingram. He, he had five. He, he is the AFC Pro Bowl team. So we need to find out if this guy listened to our stuff earlier yeah. in the season. Good point. Where we were well ahead of the curve on the Ravens are going to be great. Everybody's underestimating the Ravens. Everybody thinks that Lamar can't pass because he lost the playoff game against the Chargers. That would be incredible if the winner of the fantasy league went all in on the Ravens because we talked about the Ravens. He may say, I live in Baltimore, and or I've picked him up throughout the There's year. A, a lot of ways it could go, but one we'll of the ways could be that he he liked how we were hyping him. But I want to give another a thank you, a special thank you to my man, William Ezel. Follow him on Instagram, at WGE2. He did all of it. I'm going to post the entire rankings online so that you guys can see where you finished if you were a champion in your division. Thank you again for playing. Back to gambling. EDSR update. You went 3-1 and one traditional last week. Tampa Bay won and covered the spread. Baltimore won against the Jets and covered the spread. New England beat the Bengals and covered the spread. The one loss, Cleveland Browns. Went to Arizona, lost, mm-hmm. and didn't cover the spread. Trending went 2-2. Two and two. Philadelphia beat Washington and covered the spread. Almost didn't. Yep, that was... Holy crap. If you bet the Redskins, I mean... I felt so bad for those people. Yeah, but I, I almost, I almost. That was one. That was probably like yeah, the last one that the, the last one I left off my card was the Redskins. That would have been a terrible beat. Tennessee lost and did not cover the spread in that game. I mean, shit. There was a million ways that could have gone. Tampa Bay win win, and then Cleveland lost loss. So trending went two and two straight up against the spread overall. EDSR factoring in traditional and trending. 52 and 13 overall, 35 23 and 1 against the spread. Tampa Bay was getting a little scary there too at the end. Yeah, it was one of those situations where you get up big, then you start to take your foot yeah. off the gas, and the underdog like ratchets it up with nothing to lose, and they get back in the game. And David Blau said, I got you, EDSR. Here's a pick six. Yeah. Man, Tennessee Texans was one of the most frustrating games of the year for me. It reminded me so much of Baltimore, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Red zone drives inside the fives. Even when Tennessee scored, it took them four extra plays and wasted two minutes off the clock that I didn't have to spare. When they were down 14 nothing, 
I knew that my my bet on the over wasn't going to hit at halftime. So me and my buddy went money line Tennessee. Let's mm-hmm. let's get the juice out. Mm-hmm. They tied up at fourteen, and we're going. Hey, smart betting, and then they just shit their pants. One of the most frustrating games of the year for me. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Look, I look, texted you here's, during the game. I said that over is fucked, and you never responded. I was like, Warren's not happy either. Here, here's the thing. The way I always look at it is, put yourself. First of all, it was a tremendous bet. It closed uh, 50 and a half or 51. We took over 48. So you know that's a smart bet. The way that you guys out there can measure if you're doing things the right way is see how your bet does against the closing line. That is the first stage, and you can figure it out before the game starts. Did I make a smart bet? Am I timing the market correctly? Because, yes, you can occasionally go against the market completely and do what you want to do, and you could be right. But you want to, be, generally speaking, be making bets that you can't place a better bet at the start of the game. You place the better bet when you actually made it. So by taking over 48, it closes 51. You got three points of closing line value. That is money in the bank, typically. However, um, I put myself in the position of being an under better. Let's pretend I'm betting the under on this game. Oh, you're freaking out the whole game. I could not have envisioned a game going more perfectly. I mean, there's drives down the field and they throw an interception in the end zone. I mean, if you're betting the under on a game and you get an interception in the end zone, oh my God, you're rolling doing somersaults because that that rarely happens, but is incredible. A rematch we're seeing this week, Rams-Niners. Remember that game? Yeah. Number of interceptions in the end zone, turnovers in the red zone. Another game that had an overfeel and then turned into an under. It's funny that we're seeing that game again this week. I, I looked up uh, on my box score thing at Sharp Football Stats. I looked up because I was talking with somebody last night about this particular game. And he's like, Texans or Titans, Texans, okay. Titans, Texans. And we were looking, he, he was like, I, I feel like the, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of offense. Like the Titans weren't doing all that much in that crazy? game. They did and I they said, wanted. I said, bud, let's, let's go back. I pulled up my drive chart. The first drive of the game, they drive, uh, Tennessee drives 72 yards, and it's a block field goal. 72 yards, block field goal. Then they go three and out. Then they get the ball, and they drive 71 yards, and it's an interception in the end zone. Yes. Or then like the one yard. Then they have like another, uh, like they got four yards on their next yep. play, three plays, a punt, whatever. Drove all the way. Then down the, the next play, they drive all the way down and they turn it over on downs. Yes. Okay. Then it's halftime. Well, that was a fake punt. That's what the turnover on downs. Okay. Was. Right. Yeah. It was. A, it was. A, they tried to go for it on fourth down. Ultimately, yeah. they didn't get it. Then it's halftime. Then they start the next two plays out of halftime, driving seventy-six yards, score yep. touchdown, eighty yards, score yes. touchdown. So that game, if you look at the one, two, three, four, five, yes. six, seven, the first seven drives, five of those seven drives, they're driving into scoring territory, and the first three of those. Uh, five drives where they're driving into scoring territory down where they should be getting points. Yep. They come away with absolutely zilch. So that's that's the type of game that if you had the under, like go play the lottery too because you got lucky as hell. You're you're running hot if you took the under there and won because that was definitely an over game. I ended up losing it. I would place that bet 10 out of 10 times. I would lose with it. If I had to again, there would be no chance you would ever find me not taking that over again. I I agree. It's just, it's funny how that happens. That's football. All right. Traditional EDSR. Here's how we're going to do it today. I have not seen these at all. 
you're going to give me one through four traditional right in a row. The number one EDSR mismatch in week 16. Who is it, Warren? Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens versus the Browns. The number two EDSR mismatch is who? Atlanta over the Jaguars. Falcons over Jags. Number three, traditionally DCR, factoring in the entire season. Chargers over the Raiders. All right. Number four, traditional EDSR mismatch, week 16. We'll like this one. Monday Night Football, Vikings over the Packers. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The two that I'd actually like to talk about. I'm not interested in betting Falcons over Jags. I'm not interested in betting Chargers over Raiders. Is that okay? Do you agree with me? I don't like the. Then I have to think about Chargers. I can tell you, Chargers, there's a lot of sharp money. out. Josh Jacobs is out. Yeah, there's a lot of sharp money on the Chargers this week. There's a sense that kind of like the Raiders might be packing it in to some extent. Right. They just got booed in their home finale as their stadium was closing. They're probably not that motivated to go down the road and play. They got got nachos in the end zone. They got nachos in the end zone in that game. So. What does that mean? I mean, the crowd literally was throwing. Oh. Cartons of nachos with queso dip all over their end zone. That's amazing. It was it was ridiculous. So the Chargers right now, it's at seven. It started at six and a half. So if you're going any way, you're saying Chargers are the side. I'm just telling you that EDSR likes it, and that definitely is a side that I know Sharp Money has taken. And while it may have opened it six and a half these guys there was plenty of five and a half six yes. six and a half that these guys have been taking on the chargers now okay. the chargers i mean obviously you could ask the same thing what do the chargers have to play for they completely shit the bed last week too what was it seven interceptions I'm, I'm vetoing this discussion good I fucking hate this game ravens over browns mm-hmm. is there any way that you play with the points in this game or is it what you said earlier if you're betting the ravens you're betting money line look that would be my Desired approach as we sit here right now. I have not done anything on this game, but I could tell you that I think with the extra time to prep, with the revenge factor, they're not going to overlook Cleveland. They're laser-focused on Cleveland. They heard all offseason how the Browns were winning the AFC North, and then Nick Chubb ran for like 200 yards on You can't be the Ravens and hopefully make it to the Super Bowl, but get swept by the Browns, yeah. right? So you, you, they're going to be focused on this game, um, and they need it for number one seed and potentially get a little bit of time off next week. Yeah. So I guarantee you they're going to be very focused on this game. The, the issue is how do the X's and O's and the matchups go? And Cleveland has a couple good backs, and that's one of the weaknesses that you could do. Now, that first meeting with the Ravens. That was a different Ravens team. They did not have Jimmy Smith there. They did not have uh, Peters there. So their secondary was nowhere near what their secondary is right now. Um, But I still think Browns could run on them. So this could be a game. I'm probably not going to do it. But Cleveland ATS and Baltimore Moneyline – you're not going to want to bet both of those, right? But both of those are kind of good bets. Like, they could come through in this one. Your number four traditional EDSR mismatch. Let's break down the game right now. Mm-hmm. Vikings over Packers. This line started at the Vikings favored by four. It is indoors in Minnesota, and now it is down to five and a half. Minnesota, 
10 and 4. Green Bay, 11 and 3. Battling it out for the NFC North. At home, the Vikings are 6 and 0, 4 and 2 against the spread, and they're averaging 27 points a game. Packers on the road, 4 and 2, 4 and 2 against the spread, and they're letting up more points than they're scoring when they're on the road. 20 to 21. Minnesota, their last five. They've gone out there and they've won four out of five. Smoked the Chargers, beat the Lions by 13, lost an up-and-back battle Monday Night Football to the Seahawks, came back on the Broncos, and also beat the Cowboys. The Vikings are a much better team than they were earlier in the season when they faced. And if you remember that Vikings game, they had a chance at the end, even though they were getting their ass kicked early, to come back and win the game and then Kirk Cousins threw the interception in the end zone. Green Bay jumps out to a lead like they normally do, and they kind of let it slip. Green Bay's last five games outlasted the Bears, where the Bears really could have had um, a a, a crazy ending where if that pitch goes to Allen Robinson, maybe they go to overtime. They outlast the Washington Redskins by five. And if Dwayne Haskins doesn't mess up his ankle, I mean, Washington has a chance to win that game at the end, which should not be happening. They beat the Giants in the snow, but that was close for a while. They got their ass kicked by the 49ers, and they only beat the Panthers by eight. Remember, Christian McCaffrey stopped on the goal line. In my opinion, humbly, the Vikings are a much better team right now, but the Packers' defense does match up well. Warren, I'm going to give you the rest of the time. Well... The, there are some injury issues to be aware of in this game, and it starts with the Vikings running backs. Number one, Dalvin Cook is basically out. They've said he's he's not going to play. They actually are contemplating not playing him either the last he two is games. He's doubtful right now. Right, and hoping that he'll be ready in the postseason wow. at some point. So that broke this morning. Secondly, Madison, their it's backup, questionable. I think he's not playing. With an ankle. So it's like a Mike Boone game. It's it's the Boone dog. And, and I like Mike Boone. I don't mind Mike Boone either. He's got 4.6 yards I can't listen to these analytics guys tell season. me that running backs don't matter and they get worried when a running back goes out. Yeah. Right? Well, here's the litmus test. I, I wrote this up because I wrote up some things on this game. The litmus test of, and this is the numbers say this, it does not matter who the running back is for play action to work. You could have, it doesn't matter if you got Ezekiel Elliott there or his backup. Tony Pollard. The play action is still going to work just as well. And so that's really where we're going to get it because the Green Bay Packers have not done well uh, defending the run. And Minnesota is above average in rushing. You look at the last few teams that the Green Bay Packers have played in terms of rushing efficiency offensively, and they have not played very many good rushing offenses. The Bears, terrible, ranked 29th. The Redskins, terrible, ranked 25th. The Giants, ranked 21st. You got three virtual bottom 10 rushing offenses that they just played. The Vikings are a top 15 run offense, but now they don't have either of their first two string guys. So you got your third string guy. And we know that Minnesota loves using play action. They finally get Adam Thielen back. I feel like they didn't need to use Adam Thielen much last week. So they only threw three passes to him. I think they only had three targets to Thielen last week, but um, they were saving him for this game. He's missed like since week seven, yeah. pretty much. He's had one target since week seven before last week. I think that Adam Thielen um, uh, in the play action, 
I believe play action is still going to work. The Green Bay Packers have been getting diced up. I got some play action numbers here for you. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Let me pull them up here. I was just going to say really quickly, that means that Monday night, in my mind, if we have to, we're in bowl season. If we have to call these games different bowl games, this is the do running backs matter bowl. We have a Packers defense that has not been good against the run all year. We have a Vikings offense that is one of the most run heavy slash play action teams in the NFL. We have a coach that is so conservative, he lives on the run. They are down, arguably, the best running back in the NFL this year, hands down top five in Dalvin Cook. Then they are down his backup in Alexander Madison. This is, in my mind, if Mike Boone goes off for 100, 125, or has a big game, this to me is the running backs don't matter bowl. If he doesn't, strike one for the old guys. If he doesn't. I am going to deduce this argument down to this one game. No, you can't. I am picking one data point. I'm going against everything Warren Sharp has taught me. Yeah, don't do that. No. I will argue for the rest of my life if running backs matter or don't matter based on Monday Night Football. Good luck, running backs. You're going to need it. Mike Boone. He's going to kill it. He's going to go for like 180. Look, it's a great, it's a great like feather in the cap when he does have success or play action does end up working. Yes. But. He might have a bad game and don't it's reason, I'm no an big, unreasonable person. I know I know you're being unreasonable. Okay. Let me give you the Green play Bay action play numbers. Play action defense. Okay. Numbers. The Packers defense on the season is allowing 9.2 yards per attempt and a 98 rating to pass to, to play action. They are getting they've gotten just two sacks on 116 dropbacks when the quarterback uses play action. So wow. some in general league wide and this is when I'm like working with teams and I'm giving them information, you know, Obviously, we know that play action is successful league-wide, but certain defenses react more to play action than others. Certain defenses, play action works better against than others. And so you've got to look at it situationally on a week-to-week basis. Some teams get sacks and get pressure when you use in play action because the drops are deeper. You have to stay in the pocket longer, et cetera, et cetera. Other teams slow up because they think they're going to play the run, and then you actually don't get as much pressure. Green Bay is one of those defenses. Um, Over their last four games against play action, they're allowing 10.5 yards per attempt, a 122 passer rating, no sacks on 28 play action dropbacks. And guess what? Look at the quarterbacks they faced. Mitchell Trubisky. Dwayne Haskins, wow. Daniel Jones, then go back two weeks because they played Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Allen. Guess what Jimmy Garoppolo did? They gave up 23 first-half points yeah. against the, the Packers, 23 first-half, 37 for the game. He only throws 20 passes, but he averages 12.7 yards per attempt. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities for the Vikings to utilize play action and to still have success despite the fact that both their running backs are out. Last time the Packers defense had success against Kirk Cousins, they did a great job with the Smith guys not letting Cousins do his rollouts. Cousins is very accurate on rollout. The one side of the ball we're not talking about, we're going to move on to trending. This needs to be an Aaron Rodgers win it game. This needs to be a Devontae Adams going off, Aaron Jones. It's a very solid Vikings defense that is very, very good at home with players that are not getting respect. 
I so disagree is, with one element of okay, that. Okay, but I'm going to say one thing. I don't think Daniil Hunter made the Pro Bowl. I don't think Eric Kendricks made the Pro Bowl. Those are two guys playing at Pro Bowl levels right now. <laughs> Excuse me. That was disgusting. They are going to be operating at full tilt. But I'm waiting for the Aaron Rodgers game. And I don't know if it's this. What were you going to disagree with? I think that the Minnesota Vikings defense is a little bit overrated. You can beat them deep. All their cornerbacks can be attacked. Right. What I'm saying is I have not seen Aaron, other than Jake Kumaro, have success going deep this year. You're right. Aaron uh, is MVS is 100%. a non-factor. Geronimo Allison, haven't seen him. Jimmy Graham doesn't exist. It's Devontae Adams and Jake Kumaro and then his running backs, who are like both top five in the NFL in receiving right now. So Aaron can take shots. I just don't know who's going to catch it. Yes, 100%. Um, I will give you a little angle here um, that I like on this game. Okay. It's an in-game thing. Uh, You'll have to look at it. But take a look, for you guys listening at home or on the road, take a look at how many points since 2015 the Green Bay Packers have scored against Mike Zimmer's defense in the third quarter. You are so beautiful. The adjustments that Zimmer makes. uh, You've always said in your book that Zimmer's one of the worst adjusting coaches at halftime. Zimmer in the third quarter against the Packers. Okay. Uh, let me I see. Have, I may have misstated you. Yeah. I don't remember writing that, but there's a good, there, there's a I chance. I about Bill O'Brien again. Yeah. The Packers have scored a total of three points. Yeah, I fucked up. I got your stats wrong. I was thinking about Bill Three points in the third quarter in the last seven games that they've played. In all, both games 2016, both games 2017, both games 2018, and the 2019 game. They've scored a grand total of three points in the third quarter. So the last seven games, seven. the Packers, whatever they do in the first half, they come out in the third quarter and they have scored three points in, in seven, seven games. Quarter. Seven games. 95 minutes of action. And it is incredible the adjustments that Zimmer's capable of making, but also like just kind of how he plays and how Aaron Rodgers ends up playing. But that's an angle where before the game, you could possibly bet third quarter. You could bet the third quarter. Can you? You can bet the third quarter before the game. They don't post those lines until like Sunday. Yeah. But you could bet the third. Well, the game's Monday. You could bet third quarter before the game starts. You could also look at a halftime bet on the Minnesota Vikings, depending on what Green Bay does. And we know that Green Bay is very much so a first-half team across the whole season. They come out the first half, they score all their points, and they don't score again until like the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. So Every game. That's what Green Bay is. This is what Zimmer's done so to them. your angle is in-game betting or third-quarter betting pro-Vikings. Yes. Okay. And that's awesome. Trending EDSR. Factoring in the last four weeks. Warren Sharp. The number one mismatch for Week 16 is Baltimore. Okay, double. I'll tell up. you, there's three. There's three that are doubled. Number two, the Chargers. Number three, the Falcons. Wow. Number four, the Bengals. The Bengals. Andy Dalton back, trending in the right direction from that perspective. Obviously, Taking looked terrible last Andy. week against the Patriots, but now they're playing a defense that's that's not good. But I really don't know. Like I've. 
talked to some people that really were trying to convince me to get on the Bengals for this game. Um, the Bengals can win this and and still probably retain the first draft spot because they could decide to lose week 17. Right. Um, but you never know what the coaching staff is telling these guys. And this game's in Miami. You never know what the mindset is of the guys and the players who are going down to Miami. It's obviously the Hawk is out in New York. I'm sure the Hawk is out in Cincinnati. Yes. Now they're going down to Miami for a couple of days. Like, what is their mentality? How much are they going to enjoy the warmth of where they're staying and or the facilities down there? So um, it's hard to say what their mi- mindset and mentality is for two teams that are terrible. And for the first time, Warren, I don't want to I don't want to touch any of the EDSR games. I really don't. Except ATS, I, I like Baltimore money line. Yeah, okay, okay. I just Chargers, Falcons, Bengals, and then watch. They're all going to hit, and I'm going to waste my time. All well, right. the Falcons are a prime letdown game, right? They have the big, that was I their Super to, Bowl. I, I they said it was their Super Bowl. There's too many good games. There's too many. There are. So let's start off Saturday, 430. I'm probably going to be somewhere in New York, nestled up to some potato skins with a tequila soda, and I don't know why I'm going to be drinking that. Let's do Buffalo New England. Buffalo is coming to New England. Buffalo in that last game. Josh Allen, three picks. Matt Barkley, one pick. Patriots, six points off of turnovers that they turn into field goals. And another six points of a blocked punt, you may forget. Bills dominated the game. Dominated the game. Was down 13 nothing. Now Brady did throw a pick in the end zone. But this is a Bills team that is much better than they were back then offensively. I personally, if I were the Bills, would not have Brian Dable in the booth because I do not trust the radios in Foxborough, and I would want him on the field calling plays again. But the Bills coming off of it, I don't think that's a dumb idea. No. The Bills coming off of a monster win on Sunday Night Football over the Steelers. The Patriots, Stephon Gilmore making his case for Defensive Player of the Year against the Bengals. But who knows where we are with the Patriots. I have one question for you, and then I'll let you talk. Can the Bills win this game? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. But as a sports better, you try not to rely too much on what you just saw, right? You try not to rely too much on what you just saw. Um, but I saw the Bills go into Pittsburgh and were very scared of having their quarterback even throw the football. They were trying to get... Frank Gore to throw a pass. You're right. They wanted to run the football against that secondary. And now you've got just as good of a secondary. When they met the last time, Josh Allen was 13 of 28, averaged 5.5 yards per attempt through three interceptions. I feel like he's playing a lot more within himself these games, though. Well, and it's in part from the coaching. Of course. And so the coaching is getting very conservative in the passing game. And look, Brady does throw one pick, but it looked like, what was the total turnover margin here? The Bills had four. Yeah. So the Patriots were plus three in turnover margin in this game. When you are plus three in turnover margin and you can't cover the spread, that's a problem. And the Patriots were favored by seven in Buffalo and only one by six. Now, the interesting element here is that we talk about line value, right? A lot of sharp guys would look at this and they'd say, 
I'm the if the Patriots were good enough to lay seven in Buffalo, how the hell are they laying only six and a half at home? There's this is a tremendous bet. If we like if we thought the Patriots should have won that game and, and, and possibly covered, then they're only laying six and a half at home where they have a big home field advantage. Yes. New England does have actually a, I don't want to say big, but they play really well at home. They've got a good home field advantage there. Why isn't that a solid wager? But I argue that um, the team is different. We know more about the Patriots right now. They are not the same team that we saw play week four, where we were thinking a lot about the Patriots. Uh, they could pass the ball. They're the Josh same Gordon team that we saw last year win the Super Bowl. Huge plays in that game in Buffalo. Huge. So this is a very different New England team. This is a very different perception of that offense right now. And it's also, I think, uh, to some extent, we've seen some cracks in their defense. They didn't expose it last week because they were playing the New uh, Cincinnati Bengals. This week, it's not like the Bills have a great offense. Um, so maybe they aren't going to look terrible here. But this is not like the world beater defense that it looked the week, the first seven, eight weeks of the season. So I think I have done nothing from a spread perspective. Now, this game seems like a very straight up game from a totals perspective. There will be no and a half as the current total. 36. 36. It's come down it's, two points. And and the key number for you guys still contemplating this total, right? 37 is one of the key numbers in totals. So we're now on the underside of that. And I could just tell you my math model and virtually any math model out there is not going to say that you should be betting the under on a total for these two teams, even like they are at 36 and a half. So the only way that you could logically come up with a bet towards the under is not from math, but it's just from matchups and familiarity and strategy and game plan and all the other factors that go into handicapping. That's how you could kind of say, well, look at the angle towards this under. Here's a bunch of logical reasons why it could set up. But if you're just looking at math and virtually, I could say this across the board, I don't care who you are, no math model is going to say bet under 36 and a half here. Like, when I think of a team that threw all those picks and I think of Brady throwing a pick in the red zone, that was a game that could have had a lot more points. It's just, I don't know if either, I don't know if I trust Josh Allen to connect on the deep opportunities. And I don't think Brady has enough weapons with a Sean McDermott defense that knows exactly what he's trying to do and can cover the field. The, the one thing that the Patriots were able to do last time was throw to James White. That was it. Here is and Josh Gordon. Here is one interesting angle for this game, um, and we don't know what he's going to do in Thursday's practice, but the last two practices, the Patriots slot corner has missed Jones. He's missed. Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones. And that's Cole Beasley. If you can get Cole Beasley matched up on a backup cornerback for the Patriots and give Josh Allen that very close proximity, easier pass to hit. Yeah. Limit his downfield stuff, throw the shorter high percentage stuff. That could be a very big factor for the Bills' ability to cover this game. Yeah, and I also hear to that, if Jonathan Jones goes out, I'm looking at my websites to see if I can find some Cole Beasley props. That might be another angle to take there too. Um, and you got it because you got to think – what is Bill Belichick going to try to do here? I he wants 
shut Josh Allen around. to throw the football. Yeah. He wants he's he's not gonna care. He doesn't want Josh Allen to scramble and beat him that way. Remember, they smashed him that game and, and got him like a concussion. Yes, he did. Okay. They, Bills they were freaking out. Right. And, and Barkley had to come in, and he threw a pick in that yep. game, too. So they smashed Josh Allen and knocked him out of that game. They're going to try to prevent him from running the football on him, and they're going to try to stop the run game from the running backs. They want Josh Allen to be a pocket passer in this game. So those targets to Cole Beasley should be there because the focus is on the run game, not the pass game. Philadelphia, Dallas. Dallas right now. Uh, coming off of a monster win against the Rams. They are favored currently at few books at one and a half, some books at two, even got two and a half at the Westgate over Philadelphia in Philadelphia. I have zero confidence in this game as an Eagles fan. Zero. I don't. We saw what the Cowboys ceiling could be. Is it me or you on and off the Eagles very frequently? Yes. Yeah. I have. A- I guess that's a true fan, though. Look, three you're weeks really ago, happy said, when they win, and you're really disappointed three, when it looks bad. Three weeks bad. ago, I said they're going to struggle against the Dolphins. They're going to beat the Giants. They're going to beat Washington. They're going to get my hopes up, and then Dallas is going to destroy them. I said that like three weeks ago. What if they win this game and then lose Week 17? I don't want to play the what-if game because what if there's a lot of what-ifs. I just don't think that they can win this game. And I'm curious what your models are saying and what you've looked up. I just think Dallas has their number. And I don't think Philadelphia has the weapons to take any advantage of Dallas. I just don't think they do. Please give me hope. Well, look, the reason why, there's a logical reason why Dallas typically does well against the Eagles. And and have your number is the uh, layman's way to discuss, okay, they always seem to win this game. But there's a reason why, and it relates back to matchups. One of the big strengths of the Philadelphia Eagles defensively is their defensive line, their ability to stop the run, man up, overpower the other team's offensive line. But Dallas has a extremely formidable, very talented offensive line. So it really minimizes that edge that Philadelphia typically has over most teams in the league. And so when you're able to reduce the effectiveness, um, I think in the first half of their game in Dallas, Earlier this year, obviously it was a blowout. We know that the Eagles, their first two drives were turnovers yep. that set the Cowboys up with like one was like a five yard touchdown and one was like a fifteen or twenty yard touchdown also, drive. The Eagles D line at that time did not have Timmy Jernigan, was missing a lot of depth, and Fletcher Cox was still coming off of an injury. They they had, I think Dallas had in the first half a twenty-eight percent explosive run rate. In other words, over one out of every four runs in the first half gained 10-plus yards, which is, which is ridiculous. My concern, though, is I look at the Redskins when they just played the Redskins, Adrian and they allowed a 20% explosive run rate. And this is Adrian Peterson and Dwayne Haskins. The biggest thing here in this game that we have to try to understand, if there's any way we can, is... Dak. The injury to Dak. With this AC joint in his throwing shoulder. Is, is major. It could go one of two ways. Way number one is that it's not as bad. The rehab goes well over right. the course of the week. 
He will get an injection on Sunday before he plays, and they don't have to really limit what they do offensively. Right. They still may, however, choose not to run option plays quite as much because they don't want them to hurt it in the game. Uh, so they won't have them keep it as much on those option plays or at all. They still may reduce the pure number of deep drop back shots, especially if, or, or at least coach him to like, look for your check down. If any pressure looks like it could be close because right. we don't want you taking those shots falling on the shoulder. Cause that's the real way where this game could flip on a dime. If, if Dak seems healthy enough and the Cowboys plan their game plan offensively around being able to utilize Dak and then he gets hurt in the game, that would affect them much, much worse than if they didn't have Dak at all, which I don't think that's going to be the case. The second way this could go is Dak's really hurt. They have to really modify their game plan and go much more run heavy, quick passing. I was just surprised at the amount of intel that was coming out of the Cowboys locker room yesterday out of their own players' mouths about this with the specificity of how this injury was impacting Dak. Part of me, if I was running a team... You're telling me that you're surprised the Dallas Cowboys talk too much? I think they're telling the truth, okay? Of course. Their well, owner does press conferences... I watch a Jerry Jones press conference, and he literally does this. Guys, I am not talking anymore about the coach. And then someone goes, yeah, but is he going to be the coach next week? He goes, listen, he'll be the coach next week. But I am not answering any other questions. And then people just keep asking questions. It's it's six minutes of him going, I'm not answering questions, and then honestly answering the questions. They are the bizarro Bill Belichick Patriots. They'll tell you anything you want. Right. It's it's so ridiculous. And the fact that like Jason Garrett comes out and says he can't do anything this right now, like he's very limited. OK, how do you factor that in when then you're breaking down this game? Well, when you take that information, all the information you've heard. So if a coach says that a lot of times I'm going to think he's blowing this up, there would no there would be no reason for him to say something like that to help the opponent better prepare for this game unless he's blowing it up and really Dak's going to be fine. I think he will be. But then you hear these teammates come out and Ezekiel Elliott is saying um, that, uh, you know, he, he couldn't imagine somebody playing through this with the pain level that he's in. And then a wide receiver, I forget which one, comes out and says that Dak told him that on this read option play, he's just going to hand the ball off regardless of what the look the defense what? is presenting because he can't, Do you he's think not going to keep the ball here. That the Cowboys are being really smart and this is all a planned PR event. I think there is zero chance that Dallas is doing that. What I'm saying is if I was running the team, I would be going in there with like some counterintelligence type black ops thing and being Dude, like spies, yeah, like coming up with all of these strategies to throw them off my scent and to throw yeah. things out there to distract them. Meanwhile, internally, we got a great game plan that we're cooking up and Absolutely. we'll let them figure out and worry about all these other things. But I then look at the Cowboys and I look at a guy like Jason Garrett come out and say, yeah, well, we don't use in-game win probability to help determine things. And you realize that this guy is not going to, like, think up some, like, 
third degree, your third dimensional chess moves yes. to try to figure no, out the not. optimal game plan um, and and throw these guys off the scent. He's just going to tell it like it is. Uh, one little note: if Dak doesn't play, Dak's record in his career against Philadelphia is five and two. One of those losses, to be honest, though, he only had eight attempts. Tony Romo came in that game, and they lost that. But he has now beat the Eagles four in a row. In the last three, his completion percentage is 77-77-72. He has five touchdowns, three interceptions. He's had a quarterback rating over 100 in all three games. That is my fear, is that Dak in this Dallas offense has figured out Jim Schwartz. And because they can't get pressure with the D-line, the weakness of this Eagles defense is the secondary. They gave Dwayne Haskins his best game of the year. Before that, Eli Manning looked like fucking Eli Manning from 2008 in the first half with Slayton. I, If Dak is healthy, I don't see us having a chance. But the fact that you're telling me that Dak might be hurt, that's the only chance I think we have. And I'm saying we. Look, the Eagles' last three games, they literally played teams with bottom five offenses. The Redskins, the Giants, and the Miami Dolphins. And they all put up like 20, 30 points. Those teams were putting up, yeah, 37 points to the Dolphins, 27 points for the Redskins. Now, 13 of the 27 did come in the fourth quarter. uh, And 17 points for the Giants. All 17 came in the first half. Then they did nothing after that. You're absolutely right. The explosive plays are the big concern. Amari Cooper should have a field day. I, I personally... And more concerned, not with what the Eagles offense will do here, although I think that is going to be a challenge. You're working with three wide receivers that aren't really good wide receivers, right. don't have a lot but of familiarity. It does seem familiarity. like they figured out, we're going to do our tight ends across the middle, we're going to do our running backs out of the backfield, and the hope is that Jordan Howard comes back and adds a little bit of physicality. That's that's their offense. Everything's within 10 yards. The problem is that's when Dallas's defense is the best. Well, and and look— there are different things that you can incorporate in a must-win game. This is like a playoff game, right? They better run some fucking trick plays, Warren. Trick plays, run Carson Wentz, yeah. throw the ball to running backs, like do like down the field. All everything's on the table. Whatever it takes offensively. You saw okay. And I do trust the Eagles more in must like must-win games than Dallas. Yes, you see how Carson performs in those fourth quarters when he's got to have it. He's on point, but they need to start the game with him like that, and they cannot afford to have him turn the ball over in the pocket. But New England, when New England's playing some of these games, you saw them when they're playing the Cowboys or other teams like that, they're, they're using the trick plays. They're having... Why would you really want somebody other than Brady, as good as Brady is, throwing the pass? But the reality is they're getting multiple players throwing passes. Why? Because it fools the defense more than just a standard quarterback pass from Brady. So they're calling those plays. In the first half, they're coming out aggressively. Hopefully the Eagles offense does all of the above. Um, But my concern – so my concern is is obviously – if you're an Eagles fan, of course you're going to be worried about yes. your offense. Of course you're going to be worried about your lack of weapons. But I think the bigger concern still is your Eagles defense. 
and, and what Dallas is capable of doing there. Now, we know this is a prime example. This is the wrong number for this game. The Cowboys should not be favored by two and a half points. The Cowboys, as good as their offense is yep. and as strong as a team that they are, they are, a te- they are still a team um, that has a similar record. Actually, it's identical. They do not have a winning record, and they don't have a better record than the Eagles. And yet they're laying points on the road. There's a reason why this game was at three a few days ago. For Dallas. For Dallas. Dallas favored by three. Came down yesterday on the news of Dak to two and a half. Right. And then this morning got smashed. And now Dallas is only being favored by, at most spots, one to one and a half. Oh, so it really got split. It got smashed this morning. Yes. Wow. Uh, Also, I want to say one thing that excites me is that uh, the Dallas kicking game is in shambles. And they have Kai Forbath, who, like, if he gets into his own head, he's going over three. Like, that's Kai Forbath. And so we're outdoors. It's going to be nice, brisk, 40 degrees day. Eagles have a top five kicker in the NFL. But you got me. I'm going to set alerts on, like, Dak shoulder on all of my Google alerts to just get updates for the next few days. The the other interesting thing about the kicking, it's all the crap that goes on in the coach's mind too about what do I need to call on this third down because should we set up an attempt for fourth all down? All of the percentages in the Eagles-Cowboys coaching matchup favors the Eagles. The Cowboys are very conservative, and they don't know when to take the right risks. The Eagles will always put them in the statistical right advantage to make it happen. It's just, it's that fucking shoulder, bro. Damn. All right. I mean, that's it's a good thing for you as an Eagles fan. I don't know why you're mad about it, but it does because cloud I the decision making as my to emotions into something when I know they can be shattered. I will be a mess. I will come here on Monday and I'll be like, I knew it. But if they win, I'm going to be like, I knew it. Ah, shit. You will see that. That's the hard part, I guess, of being a fan. I've removed myself from that so long ago that I don't even remember Yeah, but those you were like on the roof of your car when the Nationals won the World Series. You were so excited. I was happy for my kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't really – I haven't even been to one single Nationals game. Is ever. there Are there anything else, whether it's Niners, Rams, Saints, Titans, any nugget that you want to get out there or any nugget that we haven't touched on? If not, we'll call crack. Those are my, my three big games that I really want to get on. But if there was any other nugget that you think needs to get out there, now's your chance. I think just to recap and just to confirm that I didn't miss anything, a very good week to bet Dogs that look ugly versus must-win teams. Those point spreads are definitely going to be inflated. A very good week to take some money lines if you like the favorites and you just want to stack a couple. Obviously, you should never just blindly, oh, my God, the only thing I'm going to look at is the fact this team's in a must-win game and they're favorites, so I'm going to money line parlay these three things. Right. You have to like the game, but what happens is, for example, the Baltimore game opened at 7. It's now at 10. At seven, it probably was a good bet. Guess what? Shit, I missed the number. I wanted to lay seven, but it's now at 10. I really like Baltimore. I don't want to feel like an idiot laying 10 when I could have had seven. Well, don't just pass the game completely. It's a good leg to use in a money line parlay. So that's one thing to do as well. Um, And I think, you know, 
it's a good week to to focus on some of these injuries. Pay attention to some of the games that we talked about yes. from that perspective. But what's your best website that you use that the public can use for injury news? Do you have one? Um, I, to be honest, I just go to RotoWorld.com. Super solid. I, I just I, literally I Google the guy's name and followed by Roto World because they kind of amalgamate right. like any things that they see on Twitter into something on their site. Um, so I'll also just search in Twitter. Like if people, the, the, the best thing, I don't know, do you have TweetDeck? Yeah, of course. Okay. There's some people out there that don't have TweetDeck. And you just set it up and put in like the name and then just watch it. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I'll just put in the guy's name. I'll also, uh, we at sharpfootballanalysis.com, we do post the uh, injury reports on Friday and list like what days the guy missed his practice. Right. Oh, but the other thing that if you don't, so, but that doesn't come out until uh, Friday morning and then it gets updated at Friday night. So Friday morning, you can get a really good sense as to who's going to play, what their status is. But the other thing you can do is just, do a Twitter search on TweetDeck yeah. in a column and just say uh, Packers injury report or Packers practice report, and you'll get like a listing of. Is there a name for this sicko parlay? If I were to parlay Baltimore money line with Cleveland plus 10. You don't want to do that. No way. You would never do that? No. I might make that bet just so that like I can see what happens. Like when you go to a restaurant and you're the only one that orders a sandwich and they they name it the Warren Sharp, like I don't know what that's called, but I might just make that bet because if I hit, I'm just gonna take the name of it. It's gonna be called a Lefko. It's like Mariota when he caught his own ball. I call that a Mariota now. I would call that a Lefko, but you don't think that's a smart move. When you when you are taking. When you are taking a wager, you want to be loaded. If you like a game, let's say you like Baltimore, okay? The way that the smart guys do it, the guys with money to spend, they will try to attack that game based upon what that point spread is with whatever way suits them the best initially. So let's pretend that the line on the game is, let's use... Six and a half. Okay. What they will probably do first is bet the first half number as much as they can on the first half because they want to still get down on the six and a half for the side, but they don't want to lose like the first half number, which might be at like, let's say three. And if they bet the full game at six and a half and move it to seven, they're probably not going to be able to come back and lay the first half. So they'll smash the first half, get as much down as they can there. Then they'll come to the full game and smash that. It goes to seven, seven and a half. Then they're going to come back and tease the crap out of the game from seven and a half back through the seven and the three. So if you like a side, you're trying to find sides that you see value in, and then you will attack it every which way, the derivative market with first halves and teasers and all that shit to try to load up on that game. So these sharps, they'll get how many total, like quantity of bets down on one side? Like you just it depend, said. It depends how much they like the game, like how much edge they do, do they see. But it's don't don't think that, um, you know, guys like me and, and other sharp, like syndicate groups out there are just like playing ATS full game point spreads. And that's what they do. Oh my God. My card this week is I got the Packers minus seven and yeah. I've got the Browns plus whatever. They're like 
deep dive into derivative type yeah. stuff too. Their first half under seven and a half points for, you know, this team, like the, the team that they don't like. They're, they're taking team totals, all these different types of things on the derivative market, but they're very smart about what they're going to attack first so that they can get the most value in the number. Like if the line is three, okay, like let's say you, I was giving you example line six and a half. If you're taking a favorite and the full game line is three, you're not going to want to start betting the first half number first because there's a chance that the full game might tick out. You don't know. It might tick out. And and the first half, if it's minus two, minus two and a half, there's no difference, right? There's no difference. So you're okay with the first half possibly getting screwed. You're going to hammer the full game minus three. It's going to go to three and a half. Then you're going to come back on the first half, which will be just under three. You're going to smash that. So there's different levels of what you're going to hit first, but you're going to try to get as much down on that game as you can. And there's limits at every book. Every book has, you know, limits where you can bet it once and then they're going to start moving the number, especially in these sharp guys accounts. So that's why they're hitting it in all different types of ways. And then they do come back and they tease it later. I love it. <laughs> so all that's of my, all of my questions for you right now are about what are the words that you say when you want to smash something? Let's get crack on the phone because <coughs> I'm imagining you with all these screens going, smash that or let's do it. And I want to know if you guys, like, is there a level of excitement and do you use different words? Let's, let's just talk about that while crack is being called. Uh, the, oh, there's definitely a level of excitement. Um, I don't have like any particular words though. Okay. Crack, I got a question for you right off the bat. Sure. When you're talking to Warren before a week, are there certain yeah. words or there a certain excitement that he gives to you that you go, oh, shit, we got to do this and we got to do this now? Like, are there any moments that come to mind? <laughs> He'll tell you um, I, that that is 100% me. I am oh, like, okay, crack. Good. how long we got? Let's go. You know, yeah, for sure. But I don't. I don't use crack. Adam's asking uh, if I if I'll tell you like, oh my god, this is my favorite favorite game of the week. Let's smash it. Like, is there a yeah. word I tell you like, let's hammer it, let's smash it? I don't really get like that. Oh no, no, no! I thought you meant like I thought you meant like, well, let, let's go. Let's let, let's let's uh, you know, you're going to send out a play at a certain time, and I'll ask you what time you're sending it. And and but no, no, you're talking about exciting wise. No, yeah. never. You never. You never raise. You never get excited. Ever? I'm 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 very no. I'm very level headed because I know that no matter how strong a game is from my model, how much I like it. It easily could lose. It's there's shit that happens that easily could impact it and it doesn't go right. So I try to I'll tell crack how much I like a game or, you know, we want to take it's it's a stronger play. So I'm going to lay more on it uh, and and that type of stuff to crack. But I'm not really hyping it up uh, too much verbally. No, no, you never you never get overly excited for anything at all. Even even when the rare which you've had these, you know, Double unit plays that you haven't had one in a couple of years, I don't think. But and I think we're unbeaten on them. You really don't even get that excited for them, right? No, I because anything anything could happen. But I do I do tell you, you're a busy man, so I try to shoot it real quick with you. This is a game I like it a lot, and and it would be this size, and and then 
Yeah, that's. I, I do don't ever, really get too crazy. Do you go double unit in the playoffs? I feel like you go more in the playoffs. Um, actually, I did. I think one of the l- most recent times was when the Arizona Cardinals played the Carolina Panthers in the playoffs back in 2015 yeah. uh, with Cam Newton when they went ultimately to the Super Bowl. I had a two-unit play on the over there. I definitely remember that one hitting. Um, I'm trying to think of one since then. Jets, I remember, is the last one I think we had. and It was, it was almost over in the first half. Wow. Uh, crack, yeah. Philadelphia, Dallas. Me and Warren talked a lot about how Dallas is saying a lot of stuff in the media about Dak's shoulder. This game means a lot to me. And so I want to use all of your crack magic. Uh, Philly, Dallas, where do you stand on this one? Well, listen, uh, I'm sure Warren has probably told you we we need Philadelphia to win the division, so we're going to be rooting for for Philly. Uh, This line was up to two and a half, and I actually seen a couple threes in Vegas, and now it's down to one and a half. I even see a pick minus 15 on my screen. Uh, But... You know, you have two different teams here. You Philadelphia just had some come-from-behind victories, uh, which they didn't really look too well in. I think the Giants on a primetime game, and then last week, um, again, and you, you, know, you have Dallas that went, went uh, into, I think they went into, uh, you guys would know better than me, did they, did they go into the Rams, in, into the no, Rams? No, it was in Dallas, and they kicked the shit out of the Rams. Yeah, it was in Dallas. Dallas. They destroyed them. They destroyed them, so... Got two teams looking, maybe going in, in, in uh, either one of them. I mean, seven and seven. This is this is the this is the strong NFC East, the powerhouse that always was, but it's not no more. So, I think this is going to be a real exciting game. I think it's the hardest place to play, probably the toughest fans is in are in Philadelphia for sure. So, um, it, this is going to be a tough game for Dallas. But however. If I had a bet on this game, I would probably bet Dallas. Um, not betting it, just rooting for our side, just rooting for our Philly side, hoping we can get lucky, hoping Dak doesn't even play or, or he plays and he's not at 100%. All right, so correct. very interesting game. I'm going to uh, do – Warren, you agree, right? We're rooting for Philly? De- definitely rooting for Philly. And New England uh, – sorry, uh, Philadelphia, as you mentioned – it's a tough place for opposing offenses traditionally. It's rare that opposing offenses put up more than 20 points in Philadelphia. Like the Dallas defense tends to play better. Dallas has done it. I mean, the, the Houston Texans did it last yeah. year, but a lot of the times when teams like the Detroit Lions, who did it this year, they were the only team who scored more than 17 in Philadelphia so far this season. They did it with a kick return i think it was a punt return touchdown so you know they sometimes have to get these extra points to but the seahawks would have done it if russell wilson didn't overthrow a wide open uh tight end and miss dk metcalf this is not the same defense that it was in the past for Uh, sure crack uh i'm gonna ask the worst question that radio host radio shows do with a gambling guy all right, crack. Sure. One game this week, putting everything on the line. <laughs> Which one would you pick as the crack, the worst word in betting media, lock of the week? Well, there's never locks, you never, know that. But let me ever. just tell you this. These must-win scenarios these teams are in, just remember the bookmaker knows that also, and you're going to be paying a premium to bet on these must-win scenarios because the, the, the price is already factored in the line, and even overly so because they know that's the way the public's going to go. Therefore, I like the other side of these must-win games, uh, especially around the key numbers, which just do some line shopping. Um, but to give you an example, too, 
something you have to watch, and you guys would know this probably a little more than me. Like the Buffalo-New England game. Let's say Buffalo beats New England on Saturday. So then on Sunday, the next day, that's going to mean a lot to, I believe, Kansas City. Because, you know, if Kansas City wins, then they can literally get a bye. So you have to know these scenarios and know these situations. And I'll just tell you this. This is a giant secret in the business. The big books take the lines off the board a lot. Watch this. When the big books take the lines off the board, the late lines, depending on the early games on Sundays, and especially like games like this, or certain situations like this, this is not exactly the type, but just watch for the slow-moving books, the books that are, are, are lazy or lackadaisical to pull the lines down. Great opportunities will be upon you uh, sometimes on these late, yeah, what do you mean? Uh, what do you mean by games. pulling the line down? Like, what? What are you talking about? Well, they'll, they'll actually take the line off the board. Let's say there's, it's dependent on if, if the team has to play hard, uh, they'll 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 pull down the team off the board. They'll pull the game off the board. Let's say the, I'll use the East Coast times. Yeah, one p.m. early games, four p.m. late games. The one p.m. games. Uh, if they're dependent on the uh, the early, I'm sorry, the 4 p.m. games, if, if they're dependent on the earlier game, uh, winning or losing, they'll pull the 4 p.m. games off the board. Warren, you've seen this in the past yeah, so, also, right? Yeah, so what Crack's saying, like, let's use the example, okay? If New England wins, uh, sorry, if Buffalo beats New England, then Kansas City, if they win, they're in, right? So what they're going to do is when that game Buffalo-New England is ongoing, some books may permit you, may take the board, uh, the Kansas City game off the board. You can't bet on the Kansas City-Chicago game until the result is finished with the uh, Buffalo-New England game. And then they'll repost it at the number that now you'll probably have to pay a, a, a steeper premium for Kansas City because now there's like massive motivation for them to actually win this game. Right. So they would pre- prevent you from betting on the game. That's what take it off the board means. It means yeah, literally yeah. you can't bet I wasn't sure about when they put it back on the board. Would the value then be on the team, the the underdog there, because they're they're juicing it up so much Probably. for the motivation? Great point, Adam. Probably, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I that's why you're saying almost side. wait, because you might get even more juice than there is right now. Well, what Crack's saying is there's going to be some books that will keep the Kansas City game on the board during that New England game. And if Buffalo wins, then find those books that still have it, that haven't adjusted the line yet, and bet there. Because when the smart books come back on, the point spread will be ah, one or two points higher. Gotcha. And now you got a good number. Nice. And that happens all the time. You'll see situations where books... Don't take them off the board, uh, but the sharper books will, so you can jump on that side. But then again, you just said something good. The public's going to be betting that side, so automatically it's, they're going to they're going to over adjust probably, and maybe the other side becomes the value. Unbelievable, right? All these different scenarios and situations. All about timing. All about getting the right number. Crack, you are the man. Thank you as always. Download the Crack Wins app. Look, I've, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Bowl season, but also I know. Warren, Crack, they focus all the time. Playoffs is really where it starts getting good because it's lesser teams, lesser amount of teams they could focus. Appreciate you, Crack, as always, man. Happy holidays, guys. Thank you. All right, take care, Crack. Um, Sharp Football Analytics. Analysis. Excuse me. Sharp Football Analysis. Uh, You're 134-77 and in postseason. And... I think we all read your manifesto about the Patriots-Rams last year. 
the insight that you can get, all the information, the injuries, always good. Check it out. Any other final thought you want to send us out with? Um, well, I will tell you that uh, if you, there's a couple of coupon codes. If, uh, if you enter, out. give them out, s- save 75 or save 50, uh, depending on what, what you're looking at checking out. We're only offering two playoff packages, but you could definitely hit those up. And, and absolutely, I mean, um, I will tell you this my Super Bowl write up 100% has been used within the last five years. I'll keep it vague within the last five years by a team who actually won the Super Bowl. Okay, they, they've, they've looked at it. They had it. The coaches were actually looking at it. And um, then I've also had situations where I was able to get information to a team for the Super Bowl that did not end up using it and lost. So um, I, I love breaking the games down. That's why I'm excited. We'll tell the 33%. I'm coming back yep. to New York back-to-back weeks in January, yep. and we're going to crush it for the divisional round, which is my favorite weekend of the year. I agree. My favorite weekend of the entire NFL schedule. I will be here, and then I'm coming back the next week to break down the conference championships. And so that is going to be, you know, if it's an hour-long podcast, it's 30 minutes on one game, 30 minutes on the other game. I got, I'll have so much stuff on those games. Can't wait. I'm excited. Warren is getting healthy. I am slowly dying. We appreciate you here at the Left Coast Show handling all my coughing because it's been gross for me. Can't imagine how gross it's been for you. Warren, get back on that train. Get back in your dungeon. Watch all those <laughs> games. Check them out. Cha, cha. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E man for Warren Sharp. Did we ever come up with a catchphrase for you? No. What do you want it to be? Let's think about it. Let's introduce it next week. Warren Sharp. Stay sharp. All right, we'll see you guys later. Peace there, three.